the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. of Tech. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 338 of New Zealand's longest running tech podcast for the week commencing Monday the 29th of June 2015. My name is Edwin Herman. I'd like to welcome on the show my co-host for this episode, Ben Sonko. Hi Ed. Ben, how'd you be this morning? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Been a little bit sick, but I'm, I'm Definitely on the men now. Yeah, you've. I, I heard you went so well uh, over the weekend. I take it. Uh, it's just it's just been the last week. The last just week. A, just a, I think it was a little chest infection, but um, I seem to have fought it off without antibiotics. So you're certainly sounding pretty healthy. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Because um, the other thing is, Brett, uh, our other co-host for those of for those listeners who aren't familiar with the show, uh, he's been away sick as well for a few weeks. I mean, there has been a lot going around. Yeah. It's that time of year. And, it is yeah. indeed. It is indeed. Yep. Touch wood, I haven't actually had anything yet this year, but I'm sure I'll have my fair share eventually. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay, let's uh, get into the stories. I've got a couple of Google stories and a Samsung story. How about that? Mm. Uh, nothing from Apple this time. <laughs> or Microsoft, for that matter. No. All right, I wanted to just uh, kick off with Google introducing a what I think is a kind of a cool feature, which isn't new, isn't revolutionary, but just hasn't really been released mainstream before, uh, at least on the s- scale of what Google can do, and that is an undo send for email. So it's only for Google Mail to Google, or because email doesn't work like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. So what I'm not entirely sure is whether they've put a delay on their queue. It's a, By the way, you have a window of opportunity of just 30 seconds to... to oh, yeah. I didn't see that mentioned. So I think what it is, it's a delay on the queue rather than going and fishing it back out of your of the recipient's Gmail box. Well, it's not really an undo. No, uh, yeah, it's not really, but it, it kind of is in terms of... Because the, you could do that. You could do that within... Gmail, like if you were sending to a Gmail account, they could they could tie the delivery of that message so that until that person, I think um, Exchange servers, you could do it. Yeah, um, yeah. And with Lotus Notes and those sorts of things, where where all of the control is built into the actual system itself, because it's the one sending, it's the one delivering. It has a lot more power. But a normal, you know, mail MTA delivers an email. That's what it does. It, it's it. Yeah, it pausing or having the ability to connect to a server and remove that. that, These are not things built into the email system. No, exactly. And so, I mean, you know, with with a 30-second window of opportunity, it's not a lot. But sometimes it's enough for the person to go, oh, uh, maybe I shouldn't have worded it that way. And you can kind of do the, you know, do undo and then it'll just cancel the the sending of it uh, rather than uh, persisting, you know, until the delay is over and then sending it. You could use it for the time when you accidentally hit send and you didn't mean to when it sent it. So, oh, I, didn't, I hadn't finished writing that email. 
that's where it'd be useful because that is 30 well. seconds mm-hmm. is the exact time. But but for anything other than that, I mean, who has remorse within 30 seconds? Yeah, I, I kind of understand. What's your temper like if you fire up <laughs> so bad that you do something that you have to undo and like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I don't know. I think it'll help some people, but, you know... It, it, it's not, you know, it's been done before in that, you know, I've seen it in other places. Also, you can implement it on on Exchange, or Microsoft Exchange. You can implement a delay of five minute or an arbitrary, for that matter, delay on sending, which means you can fish it out of your, I think it's Outbox, before it gets I mean, to your sent items. It would be easy enough to build that into any mail delivery system, but hmm. it's, breaking, it's breaking email. It's making a worse product. Well, yes and no. It's not. It's not breaking the protocol, SMTP protocol. Between it, all, it's doing is delaying your send. That's it, before it really hits. If you think about it, it's before it hits email per se. It's a message at your end and your company with your server, and it's all the service I mean, e- doing is email is email is supposed to be instantaneous. Like well, it's supposed to be. Um, I mean, and the the mail system itself is built in with certain delays of when it restries to send a message, and you know that that frequency decreases over time so that it's not putting too much like the whole system is built about trying to get the email out as quickly as possible and rely and being you know assured that you've delivered it correctly as well and anything that breaks that just feels wrong to me well you see i don't have a problem with it if it's at one end but if it's in the middle beyond the control of the sender to me that doesn't seem right it wouldn't seem right if that was the case but that's not the case it's at i mean how different really is it from me writing a script that say you know to send an email to you after a set amount of delay, and I can control C that if I well wish. the dif- the difference would be that okay I write an email to you and I'm like you know fifteen seconds later I'm like oh my god I didn't I didn't mean to send that I pull it back but then I need to quickly send an email off to somebody else who's waiting for that on the phone and the system sitting there going oh well I'll delay this one and. I'm sitting there, wow, why haven't you got this email yet? You should have it by now because there's this urgency. And then it goes, then you'll send another email to a friend and you know, who cares? They're not, they're not going to see it for a day or two. There's, there's certain levels that, uh, there's certain times where you want the email to work quickly and certain times when it wouldn't matter. Yeah, but 30 this, seconds, surely. This would impact, yeah, I mean, it's, 30 seconds is, I just think it's a complete waste of time. But. Well, I wondered whether that's why they picked their 30 seconds because I think if you're going to do something like this, a 30 seconds I think is, is kind of a, the optim, uh, kind of if like a sweet spot. Any earlier, and it's just really not going to, you just don't have any time. Any later, like a, one or two minutes, and, and like, well, you get the situations that you raised where you're on the phone to someone, I'll send you that via email now, I'll just send it now, right, done, it should be with you shortly. And, oh, no, hang on, we have to wait two minutes because, you know. So I, I guess if you were to do it, you'd pick something like 30 seconds, would you not? I mean, 30 seconds seems low enough to me that it would be annoying and wouldn't add any value, but I don't know what number would make sense. I mean, you know, I manage email systems and we use something called gray listing where the first time an email turns up on our server from a a mail server and a user, it gets blocked. Um, And this is just used to reduce spam and it it works really well. It reduces Mm. a lot of spam because spam servers don't send legitimate email very often. Um, but every now and again, it is a little bit annoying when you have to wait that you know three to five minutes for the mail to come through to retry. Yeah, so to, it, for it to retry. Yeah. So tell me about your grey listing configuration. Is is it the first time 
the first time it sees a, it's a trifecta From on the, the the sending mail server, the domain, and the user, I think, is the trifecta that it uses. When you say so the user, any, do you mean the receiving email address? Uh, so, I think I can't. Remember, I don't think it's the receiver. I think it's the the sending. Oh, I the think from it's address. The send, yeah, I think so. I think that there's three things. I can't remember exactly which three they are, but it's yeah. It creates a trifecta, and once once the mail server has seen that trifecta, then mail is no longer affected by the grey listing protocol. Okay. Um, I just wonder what it, they. I've heard. Yeah, I know the concept. But I just wasn't sure in practice what the uh, criteria people chose for that. I mean, for some reason, I think it's the 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 sending mail server IP address. I can't remember if it is just the recipient email and the sending email. It might just be those three. You know, I once wrote something. I, I it wasn't my idea. Let's say I, I kind of got the idea from somewhere on the internet, but I I implemented it myself, and that was the first time it sees an email come from a certain address to me. It it generates an automatic reply with a code and a and a URL saying, "Look, you know, anyone has." a spam blocking system to if you're a real person click on this link and enter this code to release the email you only need to do this once and then from this email address and then you know your effectively your email address will be whitelisted and that was kind of cool but um i eventually turned it off i just did it really more as a proof of concept i i think that was sort of somewhat i don't know if popular is the right word but certainly uh there were a few people trying that type of technique some years back and I, yeah. I thought that was I mean, kind of cool because, and there's an image capture. The other thing I forgot to say is that there's an image capture as well. So it's not just, you can't, you, you just can't automate it easily unless you have a human. Um, there's there's various like alternatives to the email system that people have suggested. One of the ones that I think is really good is that you don't actually, you don't deliver the email as such. You You notify for the recipient to receive it. So you think about how much spam is flying around the internet because mail is sent from a mail from one mail server to another. Whereas if I got a some sort of notification, almost like a header message saying you have an email and you click on it saying I want to read this email, at that point it goes and receives the email from the sending mail server. So the sending mail servers of spam would just clog up with a lot of messages that would never be cleared out because there's nothing to receive them. The pipes around the internet wouldn't get filled up because the mail's never actually, you know, you're only sitting little bits of header information. So from what I understand, because I've heard of a, a system which is effectively reversing where the mailbox is, if you like, and that is when you send an email, it's your local SMTP server that hosts that email, which is the opposite, yeah. and the recipient goes and fetches it from that server, which is, I think effectively what you're saying as well. Is that right? Are we saying yeah, the same yeah, thing? Yeah, pretty, pretty much, mm. yeah. Another one I heard is, which I don't know that would work so well in practice, but in theory it's kind of cool, and that is charge something like one cent. I don't know how this charging system would work, some central clearinghouse, one cent per email. The spammers are the only ones sending, you know, tens of millions of emails. Would they really want to be spending a million dollars doing it? Yeah, because, I mean, the first thing they'd want to do is pay their email bill, isn't it? Well, you... Uh, obviously not post bill, but you know you have to have some it, sort of. It couldn't. It couldn't. I don't think it could. Work. In in practice, I don't think it would work. But I can understand the theory completely. There's been some good ideas on how to fix the email spam problem, 
but I think, you know, grain listing does work reasonably well because if a spammer wanted to get around that, they'd have to implement a system that sort of adheres to the uh, server's too busy, please try again later message. They lose throughput because of that. I mean, to be fair, if you if you set it up that you just ran through your email list twice, that would get around most grey listing systems. <laughs> not that I should be giving people ideas, but <laughs> it's not exactly a hard idea. But you know, if you run through a list and it takes you fifteen minutes to process that list, if you run through the list again, then your trifecta is going to exist in all the mail servers. You're going to be resending after the limit of you know most of them are set to three to five minutes really because you want to catch that first that first resend. Um, so if you were sending it 15 minutes later, you'd probably make it through most yeah. of them. Mm. But it's, you know, it's a tool. Um, it's, it's not perfect. It's just there to catch that. You know, it's, a, it's the biggest filter. Just catch the worst things. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like captures as well. Uh, they're not perfect either. No, but it, it just helps. It's exactly. Little Every little helps. bit helps. Yeah, totally. All right. Now, Google's been in the news as well in not such a good way. Well. They're yeah. just trying to, you know, help people remember what they're talking about. <laughs> nice take on that. So some security researchers have had a look at the source code for Chromium. Now, the Chromium browser is effectively the open source equivalent of Chrome, or what Chrome was built on, if you like. And they found... So who maintains Chromium? I'm not sure, isn't it? just an, It was an open source project. Is it the community? I think. But the, what community? Like, is Google the giving Chromium them source? their code? Is Google sharing their code with them, or does 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 Chrome have open source parts, open parts, and closed parts? I think it. I, I think it does. Does it not? Does it, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Because th- the way that they're talking about, it, they're going, "Well, you know, Google's nothing to do with Chromium." It's like, well, well, yeah. So before we get to that, well, <laughs> what they spotted in the, this mention, what we they spotted in the code, it's the feature that allows effectively allows dictation for searching with you know the okay google that's listening i.e your microphone's on and it's listening for you as you speak and the idea according to google as to why it's there in the first place is that you're able to do in future it's turned is it turned on or off by default i think it's on by default well it's supposed to be off. oh no off sorry it's off by default sorry but it's well no it's supposed to be off Yes, exactly. That's the key here, isn't it? It's supposed to be off, but is it really? So the idea is that you can do things like, you know, OK Google, uh, open, I don't know, eBay or something. So the the concern here is that has Google been eavesdropping on people's audio or can they theoretically eavesdrop on the audio uh, of people using Chrome? They wouldn't do that. They're Google. <laughs> exactly. And this is, is the, the same. This is the same Google that stole everyone's emails when their cars were driving around doing Street View, isn't it? That's the one. Uh, mm. And just looking through Wi-Fi connections and building up maps of different Wi-Fi names. Mm. It was an oversight. Oh yes, this is an oversight as well. <laughs> it's a well, really well-designed oversight. Well, as you say. Ben, they have tried distancing themselves by saying, well, uh, yeah, Google doesn't really control Chromium, so it's not really... Which is why you found that code. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the quote is this. The key here is that Chromium is not a Google product. We do not directly distribute it or make any guarantees with respect to compliance with various open source policies. 
So people steal it from you? Well, like, what are you saying? I don't understand. Yeah. It's, it's not a Google product, but Google makes it, codes it, supports it, builds it, releases it, but it's not a Google product. See, I, look, I'll... I'm not entirely convinced. In fact, I'm not convinced that Google are doing something nefarious, nefarious here. I, I, I don't think they're actually storing people's conversations using, you know, through this product. I don't, I don't think that's the case. However, whether I'm right or wrong, regardless of that, the point is, it can be done, and people don't know. And I think. Yeah, and, I mean, and that- what about if there's a like? What about if there was a service that was there to um, monitor your experience and improve it, and they were recording it, but they weren't directly a Google company. It was some other company. Yeah. Well, I mean, does that does that mean that they're not doing it? Yeah, third party or processing it, company. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what is what's how does you know? Because it's so easy to go. Well, we're not doing this, but then there's this other company that's doing it. Oh, but that's not us. And yeah, we we <laughs> we knew about that, but it's because it's not us. We didn't like. Who knows? Like maybe they're right. Maybe there's nothing at all. You know, this was just an accident, and you know we should all just not worry. But we've lived in the world of of it being lied to for a long time, and people taking information that they say they're not or isn't important. Yeah, and look, whether or not they're doing it, I think it's also really a matter of trust. Now, you know, can people continue to trust? the brand Google or, you know, I'll tell you who's rubbing their hands in glee right now and that's Tim Cook because in the last, I think it's purely coincidence, I'm sure, but just in the last, was it maybe month or two, Apple have been very, or trying to be very clear in their intentions and they've been making, you know, in, in speech, there's been some gentle digs at Google, effectively, reading between the lines, when Apple come out and say, we don't want your data, we don't collect your data, we don't, etc. And really, the only words missing from that is, unlike Google, but they don't say that, of course. So I know I know, right now, Tim Cook's rubbing his hands with Glee going, oh, this is great for Apple now, because people will remember, you know, it, it, it's a case in point for what Tim Cook has been banging on about for the last couple of months. But I think, you know, it really comes down to is this enough to to turn people off Google, or will it have absolutely no effect whatsoever? Absolutely no effect, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, yeah, I think so too. Actually, it, it'll be a blip to half a dozen people, and then you know, if something else happens in a year, it'll be brought up. But because I mean, so what? Siri, all of the processing of Siri is done on the device. Yeah, uh, I believe it is. Yes. There's no quality improvement, quality insurance, like well, one of, none of, none of I'm that. I'm referring to one of the. Uh, part of a speech that Tim Cook was saying was that how everything is done on device. Now we accept, of course, we under you know we we understand that once processing has been done, then obviously it goes off to the net to look for things like if you've asked, I don't know how much is a Big Mac, it'll go and find that somehow. So obviously there's you know there's something that makes it to the net, but. The, all the processing and the raw, you know, words, more importantly, the words that were spoken before and after that could have been captured but were obviously filtered out for the request are done on device, according to what Tim Cook has been saying. So, so yes. Synced, synced, and, and, it, and then synced to the cloud? or No. So there's no according, – it's not, it's not learning – how to improve its its service view. It's not learning your voice and learning your commands so that it can – perform a better job? 
Well, I think you need the vice president of uh, of hardware and Apple and software to answer that. I can't answer that, but I'm just paraphrasing. I mean, if I'm paraphrasing Tim Cook correctly, if I understood him correctly, the answer is no. It's not doing it. Because I wonder if this is, you know, it's not Apple. We don't do this. It's Apple. We haven't been caught doing this yet. Well, look, um, it, it, if that's the case, then. If you're right, that's a huge risk Apple is taking because they're openly saying, we are not doing this. And if they get caught doing that, that's a huge, huge risk. I, I Really? Because of what? Because because of nothing. People will do nothing. Well, I think they'll do more than a company that doesn't say anything about what they're doing and gets caught doing something. Would you stop using Apple? I'd be a lot – no, but I'd be a lot more vigilant as to how I use their devices – so you would probably be upset if this happened, but you'd still carry on using their stuff. It would make so little difference, I think. And they could be caught in the most blatant lie, and for the core people, it's not going to make a difference at all. For the people that are a little bit indifferent, if the device is good enough, it'll make no difference at all. For the people that hate them, they hate them anyway. It's not going to make any difference. The the, the swing people that would be affected by it is such a minority. But really, like there are there are people that out there that aren't particularly wedded to any particular device, and they'll hop between Samsung and um, you know Microsoft devices and Apple devices. And for them, when they are choosing their next smartphone. I really do think that segment of people I'm referring to, I think that will make a difference. Oh, you know, do I if I'm on top of the line, a $1,000 phone, what do I get? I get a Samsung or an Apple? No, I'm not going to get the Apple because they do the dodgy listening stuff. So Samsung or maybe one of the Windows ones. You know, I think that's. I think it will play out like that for those people. How often would those sorts of people be buying a new phone? Every two years, maybe? Three three years at the most? It, you, probably... it used to be 18 months, the average time okay. to recycle a phone. I don't know if that's still true in the day and age of um I'd of say for those people, but... this would, if it makes a difference at all, it would make it for one iteration. Um, I'd say by the time it gets to the next iteration, it's, this is a long-gone memory. Oh, I'm not going to get an Apple because... oh. Why don't I want an Apple? Oh, look at the site. Oh, that's a nice big screen. Oh, maybe I do want an Apple now. It, yeah. I'd say that the, in the same way that this is going to make almost no difference to Google, it would make almost no difference to, to any of these. All of these companies, companies have been caught out doing, you know, the most hideous stuff, and it just doesn't matter. It's, it's no, but Ben, I, mean, I think they must yeah. take a hit. Some, I'm, I'm sure they do. They must take a hit. I don't know what I don't know what the threshold is that it actually makes it. You know, I, I agree. That may, maybe if you somehow stop cat videos from making it on the internet, you'd take a hit then. But <laughs> uh, okay, let's move away from uh, Google and Apple and let's talk about Samsung because Samsung have come out with this concept really of you know these big. 18-wheeler trucks on the highway, these B-trains and whatnot, they're really hard to, to pass because you you can't really see very well uh, what's in front of them. And so Samsung have come up with this concept of putting a huge, great big, no doubt a Samsung-branded television screen on the back of the truck with a camera in the front of the truck projecting what's on the camera to the screen. So you can... I think this is awesome. I just, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> Yeah, so the idea is you look into you know, you look at the back of the truck, it's showing you what's in front of the truck and therefore whether it's safe to pass. I think it's kinda cool. I, I would still exercise caution. I I can't help but think are people gonna A rely on this and B, you know, with the visibility isn't particularly that great on the screen for whatever reason, are they gonna rely on it? It's good in some situations and I think it's a cool publicity stunt. 
Is it something that we'd like to see more out there? I don't know. Is- I, I, I definitely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think it's. I think it's fantastic. Sure, I can see situations where it could be an issue, and there's lots of refinement you could do. You could, you could have it that the truck driver switches it on when he thinks it's safe to pass, as a way of telling people, hey, it's a safe time to pass. There's lots of ways that it could work, but seeing the video of it in action. I just think it's great. As someone who spends a reasonable amount of time on the road, anything that can get me past cars quicker and safer, I'm all for. Yes, there's going to be people that are stupid on the road, but, I mean, what are you going to do to stop those people? There's nothing you can do. So what happens when someone relies on this and there's a head-on crash, maybe even a death? Would it be reasonable to allege that the, the camera on the truck, the screen on the truck, played a part in that? Um, I mean, someone was sure someone will allege that. Um, but I mean, people said that you know they drove into a river because their GPS said it. It's pretty, they're <laughs> yeah. pretty stupid people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So we should get rid of GPS. Like, well, it's more the Google, know, it's more Google the Maps rather than the GPS itself, isn't it? It's the I think the mapping data was wrong. But yeah, I point taken. Um, well, you know, I, I I had a car accident and I broke my nose on the airbag. We should get rid of airbags. I mean, you know. People are always going to do stupid things. Um, people need to take a little bit of responsibility, and this is, you know, this is just another tool that needs to be used appropriately. Yeah, look, I won't give them a thumbs down. I'm not so sure I want to give them a thumbs up either. I'll give them a sideway thumbs. But what I will give them a thumbs down for is the marketing image they've used is completely doctored. Have a look at the the website samsungtomorrow.com and look at the marketing image. It's all on. It's repeated on all these websites. You have a look at the angle from which that image was taken. That's on the back of the truck. That photo is taken from as it's viewed the left hand side of the road not where the truck is on the right hand side it's doctored i mean don't get me started on samsung like videos <laughs> they're pretty bad well yeah but um, uh, come on something like this but this shows the technology at least and that's the only thing i'm kind of yeah i don't know I, I mean all of their marketing is just yeah that, but do you agree with me that that image is doctored you look oh yeah without a doubt 100%. why do they do that because someone in marketing knows they can. It's just. But what's the need for it I if mean, it's? There's another video I watched, which was just a, you know, like a, a computer generated sort of version of it. That was painful. Um, all I wanted to see was the actual technology in use, and that's mm. the only bit that I'm really interested. Look, I'll gi- I'll tell you what I'll give him a thumbs up for, and that's being innovative in this area. I, th- I think it's innovative. Yeah. As I say, I, I'm not. I'm on the fence as to whether it's a good idea or a bad idea to see these rolled out everywhere. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Especially the night one. To me, that was, I don't know. You know, to, to be honest, at night, you rely on people's headlights a lot more than anything else. If you're relying on a, a, a computer screen with, I don't know, with the headlights of the truck that only goes so far. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. To, but it, was, it wasn't the headlights. that It was the infrared. Infrared. Yeah, but even yeah. that doesn't go. Um, does, but at the end of the day, like if it's not like you're gonna, you know, put put blinkers on and only see what's on this. This is one thing you'll be using. You'll be using the lights that you can see, the headlights. You'll be using the amount of traffic on the road. You'll be using the condition. You'll be using a lot of factors when you're passing. This is just one extra piece of information to expand on what you're using. Well, I if guess, this is the only thing you're using, then yeah, you're going to have an accident. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and I guess I, I I think that's what I'm saying. It will people still remember that this is just one factor to to include, not 
just the only one to rely on. I guess that's what I'm saying. The other thing also is, uh, I don't know, for me, I, I think I might get a little distracted as I'm, I just sit behind the truck watching the, the screen a bit and I, I guess maybe that's me, but... I, that's the real problem, isn't it? That you would just sit there watching. I, I would. I, and and perhaps, you know, I'm approaching the truck a little closer, you know, without realising it because I'm fixed on the screen. I don't know. Uh, well, once, I mean, how many times would it, you know, how many times did you have to see it for you to not do that? What do you, like once you've seen it five times, are you still going to be as? Oh, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, oh, yeah I, I, okay, I take your point. Eventually, the novelty will wear off. But mm. yeah, I don't know. It's it's innovative. It's it can be helpful. I wonder whether it can be also the opposite of helpful, harmful as as well. I I'm not sure. I think everything that I think everything that has a good use also has can be put to a bad use. I, I just that's the nature of things. I mean, look at the internet. It's the the most fantastic thing that's been invented in our lifetime, and the worst thing. Yeah, I know. I understand what you're saying, but that's you know the analogy you use is people deliberately using something for bad. I guess what I'm saying here is, can it be harmful without people realizing it's harmful? Yes, definitely. I think everything can be. I mean, so you know, using the internet again as an example, there are very specific things where people put bad things on the internet, and you, you know what's going Viruses, on. Viruses. But there's people yeah. that just use the internet. You know, they just they get caught in a YouTube hole when that's their whole day gone. You know, that's a bad use of the internet that they didn't intend to do. Yeah, it was okay, a, a byproduct of it. Um, yeah, you true. Know, internet. Mm. There's all sorts of th- examples you could use where it's a an unintended consequence of using something that's good. Sure, I, d- I guess just on the road, you've got you know lives that are potentially. St- I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just saying, really, honestly, uh, we're talking about, li- you know, you're, you're driving at 100 kilometres an hour, we're talking lives, as opposed to, okay, I've wasted a day of productivity. That's cost the country, it's cost my company, it's cost me, if you like. Okay, look, let's leave the story there, and uh, oh, that's our last one. I think that's the end of the podcast. What do you say? Uh, <laughs> okay, that's it. Ben, <laughs> I want to thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, goodness me. I want to thank you very much for co-hosting episode 338. You're welcome. All right, we'll do it again next time. And hopefully our other co-host, Brett, gets better as well. We haven't had him on the show for a wee while. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us. Until next time, have yourselves a fantastic week. See you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.